I titled this message today, A Small-Time Christian. Small-Time Christian. Small-time is a mindset, though. Where, when, you're, when you're a small-time business or you're a small-time athlete, you're small-time at anything, you're unsure of yourself, right? You're reserved or you think small. It's a mindset to, to, to be a small-time Christian as opposed to being big-time in anything. When you're big-time in something, you're all in, right? Look how the Chiefs are playing right now. They're playing that way because they're all in. If they were small time, they wouldn't be bought into the system. They wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be all in on the system. They wouldn't be sold out like that. So when you're big time, you're sold out. When you're big time, there's no plan B, right? There's no backup. This is the way we're going to do it, and this is how it's going to be, right? So it's, it's, we, we think big. We're sure, and we're confident when we're big, when, when, when we're big time Christians. But we're, today we're talking about a small time Christian. A small time Christian want to get over to be a big time Christian, right? So Romans 8, 12 through 17 says this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, because he paid that price on the cross, right? That's why we're debtors. We're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because our flesh wants to sin, does it not? My flesh wants to sin, and I know our flesh is all the same. We all, our flesh wants to sin. It wants to draw us down paths where we shouldn't be at, right? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What's the definition of death? Separation of something forever, right? We're all going to die a natural death. What he's talking about here is a spiritual death, though. Everybody, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever lived on this earth, we're all going to die a natural death. We're a spirit and a soul and a body. We're a triune being, right? Our spirit and our soul is going to come out of our body, and our body is going to go back to the dirt. Follow me? Our spirit goes back to God. Our soul goes wherever we we prepared it to go to. But we are all going to die that first death. But he's talking about the second death, when you're separated from God forever and cast into the lake of fire. That's the death he's talking about here. If If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You'll, you'll die that second death. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, right? We'll lay down the things that the body wants to do. You, you will live if you do those things. For as many as are led by the Spirit of, the, of God, these are the sons of God. Get that down inside of us today. If we realize really that we were the sons of God, that we were adopted into God's family, we'd be big time. We wouldn't be small-time Christians anymore. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, and that's where we live at most of the time, right? Fear, doubt, and unbelief. The biggest weapons that the enemy uses are fear, doubt, and unbelief. The ones he uses the most are, I imagine those tools are about worn out if you look in his toolbox. Wouldn't you think? But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And, And Abba there means Father. He's saying, he's calling... God, Father, I like to call God Daddy. You hear me call him Daddy sometimes, and some of you all think I might be weird for that. But when I grew up, if someone was a father, that was someone who was disconnected from his children. Right? You can be a long-distance father. Anybody can be a father. Right? But it takes something different to be a daddy. You follow me? And when my kids want something from me, they know how to hit me with that daddy word. Right? So I'm going to call him Daddy. Because I like to be able to, I, I like for it to be something special to him when he hears me talking to him, when he hears me call him, call him daddy. That's why I call him that. So, adoption. Now, think about this. We just uh, we're in the process of adopting Jesse. We have temporary custody of him right now. So, it's not for a season, though. When you adopt that baby, it's not for overnight. It's not for a season. It's not for a few years. It's for a lifetime. Right? He'll be our son always. We're God's son and sons and daughters always. All the way to death. When I'm dead, I'll still be his dad. Do you get that? 
God's never going to die on us, though. We're his sons and daughters always. We've adopted and been adopted in this family. If we'd get that down inside of us, that we're his sons and daughters forever, for eternity, we wouldn't be part-time, would we? We wouldn't be small-time Christians. We'd be sold out to the cause. Are you following me? Unfortunately, church, I don't think we truly believe that we're his sons and daughters about three-quarters of the time. Right? I'm not the only one that thinks that, right? Or or we'd be sold out, completely sold out. Americans have a problem with commitment. We have a problem as the church. We have a problem with commitment, right? Look at the divorce rate. You have to go no further than that. Or here's something. The, 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 The generation coming up today, or my generation, have a lack of marriage rate. Look at that rate because they're afraid of commitment. They don't want to commit to being married to the same person forever because they're waiting for something better to come along, right? That'd be the only reason you wouldn't get married to the person that you say you love. Is I can't think of any other reason. So church membership is no different, right? Church membership is down. How can you commit to anything else if you can't commit to God? There's the problem right there. We haven't realized that we've been grafted into the family of God. We're his sons and daughters forever, 1 Corinthians 12, 16, write it down. I'm, not, I'm just going to quote it to you today. <clears throat> if the ear says to the body, I am not a part, part of the body, is it not part of the body? It is part of the body, right? So even if you're gone, you're still part of the body. Once you've been saved and you've been grafted and you've been brought into this body by the same spirit, the Bible says, right? We've all been brought into the same body by the same spirit. So once you're brought into this body by the same spirit, even though you're sitting at home, you're still part of this body. So can the body operate correctly when its ear's gone or when its hand's gone or whatever part that you may be, the body doesn't operate right when you're gone, right? That's why he's saying fail not to assemble yourselves. We draw strength from one another. We need each other as the, as the, as the body of Christ. I'm talking about the church as a whole. I'm talking to Grace family today, but I'm talking about the church as a whole. Even when you're gone, you're still part of this body, still part of the body of Christ. Verses 16 and 17 says this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let's read that again, can we? The Spirit, big S, you see that? The Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call him. We get in the habit of calling him an it a lot of times, but he's not an it, he's a him. He's a third part of the Trinity. He bears witness with me through my spirit, right? The second spirit that it talks about is a little s. That's talking about me right? That we are the children of God. How do you know that you're saved? I asked my wife this and she looked at me the same blank stare you have on your face right now. How do you know that you're saved? Brother Stephen, you're always talking about what you believe and why you believe it. How do you know that you're saved? The spirit bears witness with your spirit. You know, right? You know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved because the spirit of God has spoken to you that you're saved. Nobody can convince you that you're not saved, can they? No. Nobody has the words. People die knowing that they're saved. Are you following me? The the, the people in the Bible were martyred because they knew that they were saved. No one can convince you otherwise. So we know that we're part of that family, but we need to get it down inside of us that we're his sons and we're his daughters, right? And 17 says this. And if children, then heirs. Think about that right there, that word heirs. Heirs. Even beyond death. You don't get my stuff while I'm alive, right? You don't get to go to heaven while you're alive. You've got to die that first death. That spirit and soul's got to come out of that body for you get to move on and get, get to heaven. So 
we're members of this family, we're members of this body, even beyond death. Are you following me? Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, our big brother. We're going to join in with Jesus Christ as heirs from God. That's great news. Y'all should be jumping up and down right there. Joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So small-time Christians we're talking about here still, still today. A Christian is a follower of Christ, right? So this must be a lifelong event, right? It must be a life-changing event. Does that make sense? Or it's worthless. It's worthless. You can come in and sit in church for 10 years. You can be in a relationship with God for 10 years, but then walk back out and fall back to where you're at. Where do you land at? Right back to the lake of fire, facing that second death. The Bible says, for he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. If you go over and read in the book of Revelations, he talks about wiping their name out of the Lamb's book of life. If they don't overcome the circumstances that they're in. He talks to seven churches and he tells them all the same thing. Read it. It's in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. You'll find it there. He talks about wiping their name out of the Lamb's book of life. So this has to be a lifelong experience or it's for naught. It's for nothing. Follow me? That sounds cold, but it's true. It's factual. So it must be a lifelong experience and there must be change that comes from this thing or it's worthless. It doesn't do you any good, and it doesn't do the world around you any good, right? Because the world around you, you're going to wind up in the lake of fire, of course. That's what's going to happen with you if you fall out. Of, if you fall out. I'm not talking about just falling away from the church. I'm talking about falling out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about having a relationship. That's what it's about. So I'm talking about small-time Christians still, but the world is waiting for you to falter. I have an uncle who's told me he'd come see me preach when I preached for 10 years. Because he's that sure that I'm going to slip up and fall again. He's that sure that I'll fall away from what God's called me to do, away from my relationship even altogether with him. He's that sure of that. Folks, people think that about you too. Guarantee you. I'm not the only one. They're waiting for us to falter. So when we slip up, we're no good to the world. We're no good. Our relationship's no good to save us from, from, from going to hell, right? So all it does is makes them right and add to their doubt that they had before. Because we're just one more number in the stats. Yep, I knew old so-and-so. He went up there. He pastored even for a little while. Look where he's at now. So I'm at the beer joint last night. Back to his old game. Right? So you might think that's strong language to say that you'll wind up in the lake of fire. But that's what Jesus said. Is it not? In Revelations 3, 15 and 16. Let's look at the scripture here. 3, 15, and 16, I know your works. This is Jesus talking. It's in red if you look it up in your Bible. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could, I could, wish, I could wish you were cold or hot. Come on, 16. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus says he'll vomit us out of his mouth. So that sounds like strong language right there too, doesn't it? Sounds like that's pretty scary if you're the one that's lukewarm. And church, sometimes we're all lukewarm. From time to time, we get that way. We get complacent in where we're at. Let's be honest about it. Not everybody's pushing 100% all the time. If we were, the church would be a powerhouse. We'd see the fruit of it if we all were doing that. The truth is we need to all step up and, 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 and do that to the best of our ability, but we're not ever going to be 100% until Jesus steps out on that cloud. So a lot of people 
What's really scary is a lot of people who say they're Christians are lukewarm and they stay there. We st- there's no shame in falling down. I've told you that hundreds of times. No shame in falling down. The shame is if you don't get back up and do something about it. But let's think about what lukewarm is. These people who are calling themselves Christians but are lukewarm, they're making an appearance to church, right? They show up at church most, not all the time, but sometimes they show up to church and, and, they, and they have this mentality. I don't sell drugs. I've never murdered anybody. I've never robbed a bank. I'm not, I'm not robbing from anybody. So I, I give to the church and I give to some other charities. So I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. That's the mentality they have. But the real question is, have I given myself completely to God? Completely and totally have I given myself to God? Or are there other things getting between me and my Lord and Savior, right? Let's consider what lukewarm is. Pay attention right here because I've never seen this like this before. Consider what lukewarm is. It's not hot and it's not cold. And before I consider lukewarm, I'd think of about something in the middle, right? Kind of warm. But that's not what lukewarm means. We look up the definition of it. It's not hot and it's not cold. It's not even warm. It's just a little bit past cool, right? So imagine this. When we cook food, we add heat to change the change the the parameters of that food to cause it to come from being raw to being cooked, right? So if I took some chicken and I put it in some lukewarm grease, just a little past cool, and I used that to cook it, can you imagine how that would taste? Think about that. You wouldn't even probably be getting it in your mouth until you were wanting to vomit, like what Jesus said here. Think about that. Vomit, when you're not committed to God, we fall in the same category as this chicken that's cooked in lukewarm grease. Think about that right there. When you're lukewarm, you're spewing your opinions out. You're spewing maybe some memories out, maybe some scripture that you might know or partially know even, but you're not living it. You're just talking about it, right? You can tell other people how to live their life, but you're not doing it yourself. You follow me? Revelations 3.21 says this. This is where that word overcomes. I want to give you that definition. To him who overcomes, it's still Jesus talking, to him who, who overcomes, I will grant grant to sit with me on my throne. He's talking about going to heaven here, right? Jesus' heaven's in, his throne's in heaven, isn't it? As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So that word overcome right there means of Christians that hold fast to, uh, to their faith even unto death. So he's talking about not only in this life, but beyond this, right? Hold fast to their faith against the power of their, of their foes and temptations and persecutions. So whatever comes, things are still going to come. Things are still going to come. That's assured things are going to come. Tests and trials, they're going to come. Persecutions are going to come. But we have to hold fast to our faith. We have to hold fast to that relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? That's what he's talking about. To those of you who overcome these things, I'm going to share my throne with you. Right? James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Right? Deceiving yourself. Who's deceiving you? We're deceiving ourselves. If we're only hearing the word and not doing the word, we're deceiving ourselves. It's not, we want to blame it on the devil all the time, like he's some big bad man and he's doing all these things to us. But church, we've deceived ourselves. When we become lukewarm, when we, when we are satisfied with being a small-time Christian, we deceive ourselves. We come into church, we hear the Word of God, we get in our Bible, we read the Word of God a little bit. But are we applying it to ourselves? Are we seeing changes in our lives? When's the last time, ask yourself this, when's the last time you've seen a major change in your life come from the Word of God? Think about that. 
if you've been around the church very long, if you've been a Christian very long, odds are it's been a while. Now ask yourself this, is that good enough? Are we going to settle right here? Because if we're going to settle for what we've got, we've got a small-time mindset. We've got a small-time mindset. We talk about wanting big things. We talk about shooting for the moon. But the truth is, we may have a small-time mindset. Now, that's not something we can't change. That's not something we can't get corrected. We just have to ask God to help us with that thing. Are you following me? And we have to commit to that thing, commit to God, make a new commitment to him today before we leave this building to get rid of this small-time mindset, right? We want to be big-time Christians. James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Who will he flee from? From me. He'll flee from me. He'll flee from you. He'll flee. That temptation will go away if you submit to God and you resist him. Two things you got to do, submit and resist, and the devil will flee, it says. Doesn't say if you do these things, he might flee. He could leave you alone if you're really good. It's not about us being good enough anyway. It's about following God's word. Brenda talked about it at Sunday school this morning. It's about us quoting some scriptures. It's about us following God's word. If we're submitted to God and we're resisting the enemy, he will flee from us. God's word says so. It's infallible. It'll happen every time just the way it happens if we'll just work his word. If you're here and you're dabbling in church, then if this stuff is worthless to be a small-time Christian or to fall out altogether, right? You follow me? If you're just here in church and you're just dabbling, or if you're just dabbling in your spiritual life, the only hope for you would be then that you dabble long enough that the word takes root. And then the root begins to grow, right? The Bible calls, talks about a vine. The root comes from the vine, but, but Jesus is the vine. But the vine begins to grow, and when the vine begins to grow, it transforms our life. Does it not? You'll see changes. What are we holding on to that's keeping our life from transforming? Church, I'm talking to the older Christians too here today. We haven't seen change for a while in our life. What are we hanging on to? What's more important than what we want to see in our relationship with God? What's more important than changing from having that small-time mindset to having a big-time mindset? Where are we holding on to? What's there to hang on to? Our life will begin to produce fruit when we do these things. John 15 and 2 says this. This is Jesus talking again, by the way. Every branch in me, he's talking about the vine, and we're grafted into the vine whenever we're saved. The Spirit grafts us into the the vine of Jesus Christ. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, talking about God, God takes away. Are you following me? If you're not bearing fruit, you're headed out. Isn't that what he's saying here? If you're not bearing fruit, if if your life's not changing, and there's not things coming out of your life, fruitful things that's coming out of your life, you might be the next one we see slide out the back door. Is that not what he's talking about here? He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. More fruit. So if you've seen some fruit come out of your life, he's wanting more change from you. He's wanting to take some more things away from you. Negative things I'm talking about. So that you can can produce more fruit. Now, I was looking at Brenda's hibiscus tree. I don't know if this thing's a tree or a bush. or I'm going to call it a plant. It's got three stems coming up and they're braided coming up about this high off the ground, and then it's a bushy tree-looking thing on top of it, but it produces these big, pretty flowers all summer long. They're like this big around, and, and it'll come on there for two or three days, and then those wilt, and it'll grow different ones. It just changes them all the way to the plant. It's, it's a beautiful plant, but it, Brenda doesn't take very good care of her plants, so she calls me. The, I'm supposed to do that, but um, 
it got away from me when we were in the hospital, and, it's, and it got froze outside a couple times, those nights that we had to freeze. So it's looking good now, Sister Linda, but for a while it didn't look so good for it. But we brought it inside, and it had yellow leaves all over it. And some leaves had been damaged or insects have eaten off of them, and you don't know what I'm talking about. And these leaves turned, and it, it was real splotchy looking. But I started plucking those yellow leaves off there, pruning this tree to say, right? Started plucking those yellow leaves. Because if, if that plant's left alone, it'll spend 90%, 80-90% of its energy. I don't know if that figure's correct, but it's close to that. will spend a lot of its energy anyway trying to repair those damaged leaves. And it won't put it into new growth of the plant. Are you following me? It'll spend that time trying to repair those damaged leaves and those yellow leaves that, that are going to die and fall off anyway. Those leaves are useless. Those leaves are not going to produce more fruit. Are you following me? Isn't that a picture of the scripture right here? But when those leaves are plucked off and those damaged ones, and, the yellow, and, and it was a lot of them. Joe, took a, Joe, Joe was doing some sweeping there the other day when we were plucking them off, and she swept up about four, three or four dustpans full of, of leaves that came off this plant. That's, it's only this big around, so it was a lot of leaves. But since we plucked those off, this plant started to produce more and more fruit, more and more leaves. It started to look full again in just a short period of time. Church, that's a picture of us. When we allow God to remove the negative thing, when we allow God, our lives to be pruned, when we say, Lord, here it is, whatever it is that I don't need, whatever it is that you want to take away from me, whatever you want to purge out of my life, here it is, take it, God. Take it away from me. When we allow God that freedom in our lives, we'll be able to use 100% of our energy toward producing good fruit. Are you following me? Good fruit that God wants to see come out of our lives. That's how we're going to get in that throne with Jesus. I need, I need, I had to tell God this week, and I was sitting back here in the office, I need things pruned out of my life, God. I'm not sure what even all of them are. And if you're sitting here today, you might have something on your mind, but there's other things that God knows about you that he'd like to prune out that we don't even recognize, right? I know there is about myself. So I had to say, God, I need things pruned out of my life. I don't know what they are, Lord, but whatever they are, take them, Dad. Take them away from me. Whatever it is, break me. Whatever you need to do. Whatever is keeping me from being close to you, I want you to take it from me. Prune it out of my life today. So let's consider the patriarchs of the Bible. Y'all know who they are, right? I'm just going to name a few of them today. Abraham, David, Moses, Enoch, Noah. Think about them. Think they made heaven? Absolutely. Do you think they were perfect? No. Not by any stretch of the imagination they weren't perfect. They made mistakes. They messed up, right? But they were full-time Christians. They were sold out, and they were in it for life. There was no turning back for them. Are you following me? If you're a small-time Christian or a part-time Christian, if you're just putting a little bit into, the, into this relationship with God, if you have a little mindset and you're not sold out, how do you think you're going to fight against the full-time devil? Think about that. This enemy that we have, he's been studying this thing. He's been doing it for thousands of years. Thousands of years. This would be like bringing a rookie team up against a professional team. Are you following me? How do you think you're going to fight against this full-time devil if you're not putting in everything you can possibly put into this relationship? You see, we expect to have a part-time job with full-time benefits. The church, that's what we're looking at today. It doesn't work that way, though. We have to have a full... If you want to have insurance and you want to have the things that come along with a full-time job, you've got to have a full-time job. Noah wasn't a part-time Christian. He wasn't a weekend warrior. It was more than Wednesday and Sunday for him. Are you following me? You've got to have a relationship outside this building. Pressures and trials and temptations are going to come along. You can be assured that they will come along. 
Yesterday, I was stressed out to the maximum trying to prepare this message, and I, and I realized that I was in my head because my wife said, you can't do this. You can't do it on your own. Quit thinking about it. You can do it on your own. First, she said, it's typical Saturday. You go through this every, if you've never prepared messages week in and week out, you have no idea how much pressure comes with that. To, to, uh, it's my biggest fear to stand up here and not have anything to say to you. It's, it's immense pressure that you're under. So every Saturday afternoon when I'm, pre- when I'm preparing to preach, this pressure comes on. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, that's done that. It, it, teachers and other people have it too. But, but she said, you know, you can't do this on your own. And I had to realize that I have to lean on God. I have to lean on God. These pressures and these trials and these temptations, they are going to come, but I just got to lean on God. I got I to gotta remind myself, and I found myself laying in the office floor this morning and saying, God, I don't have this. I got up at 3, 3.45 again this morning to come to church so I could get prepared to preach to you today. And I was laying in the floor back there saying, God, I don't have this. I know you've got this, though. And before I got up here today, I had a confidence about myself. But the confidence wasn't in me. The confidence was in him. Because I know that he's got it. I don't have it. There's no way that I, if, I, if he was counting on my ability to do the preaching around here, we'd have been out after about two weeks. Out of sermons, we'd have to close the doors back down. Are you following me? But I had the confidence because I'm relying on his ability, not my ability. There's two main avenues that the enemy attacks our mind, right? The first one, I think the number one one is anxiety or worry. If he can get you worried, he can keep you busy. If he can keep you busy, he can keep you out of the word of God. If he can keep you busy, he can keep you away from your relationship with your heavenly father. That you've been grafted into his family, and I've already showed you in scripture that you're his sons and his daughters. But if he can keep you busy, he can keep you away from those things. Number one tool that he uses, I believe, the second thing he uses, or, or one of the big things he uses anyway to, to attack us, is temptation. Two avenues is, is anxiety and temptation. Genesis 4, 7 says this. <clears throat> if you do well, will you not be accepted? Won't you be accepted if you do well? He's given us a book to tell us how to do well, what he expects from us. If we're getting our book and we're reading our word and we're having a relationship with him and he's teaching us how to do it, and if we do this well, right, if we overcome, didn't it say in Revelations, if we overcome, will you not be accepted? And if, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Lies at the door right there. That word lies means crouch. means crouch in the King James. We look at it, it means all four-folded. This reminds me of a tiger with all four Think about a house cat, how they are when they're, when they're crouched down and they're ready to attack. They got all four legs folded down and they, they just have all that kinetic energy and they, and they can just spring into action. That's how sin's lying there waiting on us. Are you following me? So sin lies at the door and, and its desire is for you. And its desire is for you. I lost my place. But you should... Rule over it. Let's look at this word should right here. You should rule over it. That's New King James. King James says shout rule. You shout rule over it. So where else do we see shout in the Bible? The Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. So you should do those Ten Commandments, but it doesn't force you to do it, right? So you should rule over sin, but it's not automatic. You follow me? There's something that we have to do there. We have to make a decision to do this. We have to make a decision to be in a relationship with God and use his word, right, to know what we, should, what we need to do and how we should be living and then do our best to do those things and ask God to, to, to help us along that path. So we can either control sin or sin will control us. We can control our anxiety, babe. We can control our worry. 
Right? We can speak to those things. We have authority. Those things have a name, and that tells me I have authority over those things with a name in the name of Jesus. And there's, and, and there's scriptures in the Word of God that give me promises that tell me that I don't have to be subject to those things. Fear is a liar. I don't have to be subject to that thing anymore, so I can control it, or it will control me. And we should control it. It's hard to control those things with a small-time mindset, though. Right? It's hard to control things that you should have control over, with a small-time mindset, almost done. I'm going to get you out of here on time. Then we're going to eat some groceries and watch the Chiefs game. <laughs> true change, true change you can see. When there's true change, in your, look at the people who've came into the church. Think about this. The ones who've came in and just dabbled around, you don't see a lot of change in them. You don't see a lot of fruit in their life. Are you following me? The ones who've came in and you've seen true change in their life, you can see it on them. They look different. They got a joy about themselves. They got a peace about themselves that they didn't have before, right? They're fulfilled. They feel complete. There's a confidence about them that they didn't have before. Are you following me? Let's look at Moses. When Moses went up on the mountain and he came in contact with God, what happened? The Bible says his face shone. That's the word it uses, is shown. Moses' skin actually produced light. Think about that that shined so brightly that he had to wear a veil the rest of his life. A veil the rest of his life because his face shined so brightly. Can you imagine like shining a floodlight in someone's eyes? His skin was producing light, light like that, I can imagine. He looked different. You know what I'm saying? Moses didn't have to tell somebody that he was a Christian. He didn't have to tell someone that he had an encounter with God. They could see it all over his face. He looked different than anybody else did. The rest of them weren't going up on the mountain having a relationship with God, right? So he didn't have to tell people. We shouldn't have to tell people. If we've got a small-time mindset, it's easy to have to tell people. If we've got that big-time mindset, we're going to look different. If we spend our time in the the presence of the Lord, we're going to look different. If we're wanting that change and we're seeking it out, we're going to look different. Are you following me? Now, church, i got to tell you, I'm not here to judge anyone today. I'm not. That's not my job. God's the judge. I'm not the judge, and you're not the judge. Please don't be mistaken and think you are the judge because you're not the judge. You're not the judge of me or anybody else, anyone else. So I'm not here to judge anyone, but I am here to remind you that you will stand before God. You will stand before the judge. He is the, he's the final judge, and you will stand before him. I don't care who you are, whether you believe you'll stand before him or not, you're, it's still going to happen. The Bible says death, hell, and the sea will give up their dead at that, last, at that great white and third judgment. That means everybody who's ever existed on the earth will stand in front of Jesus Christ. And you will give an account for what you've done, for everything that we've done. I just, want, I just need to remind you of that today. We all, I'm not just talking down, down on you all either. I'll be there too. I'll be held to a higher standard than you will because he gave me this job to do. He, he put this call on my life. So we'll all be there. We'll all stand in front of him, and we'll all have to give an account. Don't say that I didn't tell you so on that day, because I'm telling you right now, this might be your last chance to repent. This might be it for you. No one's guaranteed any time when they walk out of this building. No one's guaranteed not to have a heart attack and fall over right here in this building today. Nobody. My mom had a spell walking out the back door. We've had to call an ambulance for her right outside the back door. No one is guaranteed anything. This could be your last time to repent, whether it's sin that's getting you, whether it's anxiety that, he, that he's hitting you with, right? Whether it's just that small-time mindset. 
Haven't been giving your all to God. Haven't been giving your all to that relationship. Haven't had seen much change in your life lately. We should be hungering and thirsting for that change, church. Hungering and thirsting for that change. If that's you today, could you come to the altar? Come to the altar today and make it right with God. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm not trying to call anybody out. Come to the altar. Let's just get it right. Maybe you haven't talked to God in a while. Maybe maybe you've got something between you and him. Come down and let's make it right today. Today. Today is the day. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life. Let's get it right today. Saints, pray with me, would you? Is everyone here saved? Everybody in here know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died today, that you're on your way to heaven? Could I see your hand if that's you, if you don't know that for sure? Show me your hand if you don't know that for sure, that you're on your way to heaven if you die today. Thank you for the hand. Thank you for the hand. The Bible says a few things about making it to heaven. I've already talked to you about the great white throne judgment. Everybody's going to stand in front of God. The Bible also says the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, through that blood, through that precious blood is the only way to God. Right? So it says you have to do a few things. It says you have to believe that Jesus is the son of God. It says that you have to believe that you're a sinner. Right? You have to believe that you're a sinner and you have to believe that you need to come. He, that God rose, he died for your sins and God rose him from the dead and you need him for that. So if you would, I'd like to say a prayer with you today. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But could the whole congregation just repeat after me if you would? I've had a couple people raise their hand, and I want to make this opportunity available for everybody. So if we could, let's just say this. Father, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I know that your son Jesus died on a cross for my sin. I thank you for that, Father. Please live in my heart. Forgive me, lead me and guide me the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. If you said that prayer right there, I believe that you're saved today. Biblically, the Bible says that you're saved today. You're forgiven completely and totally. The Bible says he takes that sin and casts it as far as the east is from the west. It'll never be charged to you again. Now all you're, you're not responsible for what's happened in the past anymore. You don't, have to, you don't have to give an account for that anymore when you stand in front of God. Now all you have to give an account for is what happens from today forward, right? You've got to live this thing down. It's not a free ticket to do whatever you want to do, not a free meal ticket. You've got to live this thing down. So what I would advise you to do is as soon as you get done here, tell somebody you got saved today. Tell somebody you made a new commitment to God today. Get a Bible. Read that thing. If you don't have a Bible, I'll give you a Bible. See me after church, I have a couple cases of them in my office. I'd be happy to give you a Bible. I'd love to get it in your hands if you'll just read that thing. Have a relationship with God. It's about you got to talk to him. He'll talk to you. That spirit that we talked about dealing with your spirit earlier, he'll talk to you. He'll speak to you if you'll just listen. If you'll speak to him, get in his word, read his word, and then listen to him, he'll speak to you. He'll bear witness with you. That still small voice that you hear inside of you, so many people overlook that. He's a gentleman. He's not going to override anything that you want to do. He gave us a free will. We can do it our way if we want to, right? Or we can listen to him and do it his way. I mean, to be honest, we all did it our way when we lived in the world. And how did that work for us? That's why we're here, right? That's why we're here. But we still have, we're still hard-headed a little bit, and we still have a hard time 
doing it his way sometimes. We still get in our, get, get in our own ability and our own agenda and our, our, our own will sometimes and think, I got this. I got this. You ain't got nothing. We ain't got nothing. He knows the beginning from the end. Nothing's ever going to happen that surprises God. If we could just go ahead and close in prayer today. Before we dismiss, though, if, when, you, when you stand up, if we could take this row of chairs right here and push three in the middle and three toward that wall. Is that how we do it, right? And then take about half on this side and push them in the middle and push half that way toward the wall. And then if I could get a couple guys to help me, there, we have some more tables in the basement. We'll set the tables up down the middle, and then we can put the chairs up to the tables, and we'll have dinner. Um, I'd like to encourage everybody, if you can, stay and eat with us. Does, I don't, we don't care if you brought a dish. There's this here, and there's more crockpots back in the kitchen also. Um, I don't know if they didn't have a plugs out, enough plugs out here or what, but they're still working on stuff in the kitchen earlier. So there's plenty of food, food to eat. There's no, that's not a good excuse. There's no reason not to stay and eat with us unless you just got somewhere you got to be. So... Please, everybody stay that can. Um, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, Daddy. We love you, Father, and we praise your mighty name, Lord. I thank you for the two hands that raised their hand here today, Lord. I thank you for the people at the altars, Lord, making new commitments to you, Father God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that this church is going to have a big-time mindset after this, Father God. Lord, we're going to speak this into existence today, Daddy, that you were going to cause us to stop thinking small thoughts and, and small things, Lord, and small gains for your kingdom, Father God, and start to make big movements, Father God. Lord, have confidence, Lord, not in our ability, Lord, but in your ability, Father God, because we know that you've got this, Father you didn't call us out here just to leave us, Lord, but you called us out here to see this thing through, Father God, to further your kingdom, Daddy. And we thank you for this, Father. We praise you for this, Daddy. Lord, I pray that you would set fires in these lives today, Lord. Set fires in our hearts, Lord, that cannot be contained, Father God. Change our lives, Lord. Change our families' lives, Father God. Change our co-workers' lives, Lord, through what you've done here today, Lord, through your infallible word, Father. We thank you for this, Daddy, and we praise you for this, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this food today. We ask you to bless it, to bless our bodies, Lord. And I pray that you would bond this body here together thick, Lord, in an atmosphere thick with love, Father God. Bond us together today, Father God. Lord, help us to enjoy each other's fellowship, Father. Lord, and we pray this to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this food, and we ask you to bless this food to bless our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.